Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Benos Podcast. And today's guest is Trent Hutton. He's not a known name on the in the basketball world uh, on the outside, but from the inside, and especially in Australia, he's known as the team mechanic. <laughs> so today we talked about, about the mechanics of building a team culture, uh, implementing core values. We talked about leadership. We talked obviously about communication. Uh, Trent has a rich history in working with the Boomers uh, uh, Australian national team as well as Melbourne United currently and other sports as well. Netball was one of the teams mentioned. Uh, we talked about the relationship factors within a team, the dynamics between coaches and players. And this is the definition of nuance. For me, this is what the podcast is all about. It was a very uh, intricate conversation about all the little nuances that go on during the team, during the season on the team, and how what things to look for in order to improve the the mindset and the culture of the team so if you enjoyed it please share this podcast with your friends with your family with your colleagues uh, please subscribe to the youtube channel we'll still need to bring up the subscriptions it's not gonna stop we're gonna keep going and i appreciate you being here please also subscribe to all the uh, audio platforms if you listen on audio uh, instead of youtube and uh, hopefully i see you soon again bye all right Uh, Zoom says that we're recording. So, Trent, welcome to my podcast. Thanks for thanks for coming on. No worries. Thanks for having me. Yeah, shout out shout out to Dre Andre Lemanis who was on on uh, the I believe it's the twenty eighth episode with, with on my uh, podcast, and he gave a shout out to you. Now we give a shout out back. So, thanks for for uh, to Andre for introducing me to you. Yeah, absolutely. He's a he's a great man, Andre. I actually caught up with him on the. A month ago, we were in Noosa, and I just we happened to walk past each other in the uh, in the street. So we haven't, uh, hadn't seen each other for a while since he went to Japan. Yeah, I'm in I'm in Brisbane right now, and he told me he's he's in he was living in Noosa or he lives in Noosa. So I'll I'll, I'll have to make sure to go and visit that town as well. I haven't I haven't been there. Yeah, it's before. a nice spot. I heard I heard. Um, so Trent, before we dive into it, because normally I prepare. Four four quarters uh, for for coaches and and uh, some ex players, but uh, you're you're the first one that I have on who's responsible for a different part of the game. Uh, so I'm just gonna go off the hinges, and I'm just I have I have we're gonna go a little bit about your background, a little bit um, uh, about about what you did beforehand, and then we're gonna go bullet points, and I have some topics that I that I wanted to go through, but. You know what made me most curious about this topic is obviously when when working with a team is there's a lot of dynamics that come into play. But uh, have you read the book Legacy? No, I haven't. Uh, Legacy is actually uh, a book about the New Zealand rugby team and how their culture got cleaned up from the from from the just gutted everything because it was a very bad team culture within it. And they became yep. basically the most winning team in rugby history, as I understand. So it's that that book really reminded me of of uh, now made me think of of your profession as well. So we're going to talk all about the 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 whole value system, how to establish that. I was wondering if you ever read it before. Yeah, no, I've heard a lot about what the All Blacks have done. They've obviously done a fantastic job um, over the years, and it's been really driven, you know internally by the players as well so that's you know certainly runs along the same themes that, that we try and use yeah ownership we'll talk about ownership yeah. um but uh, how would you first of all before we go into your background how would you describe your profession and your um 
your position or title for, per se? Yeah, um, a couple of the people I work with tend to describe my position as the team mechanic. So sort of just tinker around with the, with the bits and pieces. Uh, but, but in essence, I suppose my job is around enabling high-performance culture. So in, in essence, getting every member of the team to really focus on how can we improve, what, what am I doing at the moment that's helping and how can I do more of it, uh, what am I doing that's getting in the road and how can I change that or, or, or make be- you know, do it a better, a better way. Yeah, okay. Um, before before you started uh, going into this avenue, you were an AFL player, Aussie Rules Football for the for the Europeans who have no have probably not heard of it as much, <laughs> unless like the the yeah. sports geeks. But uh, Aussie Rules Football, football you you had a a long, uh, great career in the AFL. How did those? What lessons? What lessons did you take from from your AFL time as a player that are helping you today in your profession? Yeah, well, firstly, I wouldn't say I had a long and a great career. Um, I had uh, it was it was spanned over about nine years, uh, and I had three years at one club, at Collingwood Football Club, and and did a really poor job of it actually. So I played three years. I hardly played any games, uh, and I probably learned a lot about what not to do in in regards to being part of a team. You know, I pro- I certainly wasn't putting. Um, my energies into becoming a better player. I was probably putting more energy as a young kid into going out and having fun. So, you know, after the three years of being there, they just said, look, you, you don't want to be here. You're showing us every day you don't want to. Get out. Um, so I spent the next three years just, you know, going out, playing suburban footy or different things and and trying to get back into the league. I thought, you know, first 12 months, I thought, oh, I'll just play better footy and someone will pick me up. And that sort of came and went. So the draft came Uh, 12 months later, and you know, we have a draft every year. The only way you can get into the AFL is is via the draft system these days. Um, and so nobody picked me up at that stage. And and I made a phone call at the time to to speak to uh, some past recruiters who would, who had actually recruited me to the club previously. And they said, "Look, Trent, there's nothing you can do. Everyone thinks you're a dickhead. So move on and do something else." So you know, in essence, that wasn't a great phone call, um, but it certainly changed the way I thought about things and, and, and in terms of now when I work with, with groups, a, a lot of the questions we sort of start to ask them is, you know, how would people describe you and are you happy with that? So, so in that regard, our recruiting process is around, we, you know, it's almost that no dickhead policy. We just want to get good people in who have got some talent um, and are willing to work for one another. So that's, you know, certainly is a, a bit of a, a book stop for, for the way we go about it. Was that like a sliding door moment for you, or like a cold shower type of moment, or did, did that that did it still linger your your old identity uh, until that phone call uh, after that phone call? Look, I, I certainly had um, there was there was certainly an acknowledgement from my behalf that that something needed to change, but but until I suppose you get that really confronting conversation. Um, and it was from someone I actually respected and cared about. So it was it wasn't uh, someone who was just you know off the off the cuff just saying this is what I think. It was more someone who actually thought, hey Trent, you, you're really not going about it in the right way. And if you want to have, be successful and if you want to get back into it, you've you've got to change some things. Yeah, that's. I think it's a lot of things. Sorry, did you did you want to say something else? Did I cut no, you off? no, no, um, because it, a lot of times it comes with a you know like an authority figure telling you, and you have to, you having like an acceptance moment, you know, like where you really take it in deep and then having to really change your whole identity because we're going to talk about reputation as well of how important that is um, throughout a player's career and when they want to change something. 
Yeah, exactly. And, and I think the the realization this you know comes when actually people take the time and the effort and the care to invest in you and have those conversations. So, so you know, a lot of the work we do now is around making sure that we invest in each other as people, invest in invest in those relationships, and actually have those those honest conversations as often as we can. You know, if just this week at Melbourne we had a um, you know, a, a robust training session where everyone lost their mind a little bit. But straight away afterwards, you sit down and go, okay, what happened there? What do we like? What didn't we like? And what are we going to do about it? Um, and, and so if you can have those conversations straight away, you, you tend to, you know, stop the things from derailing and going off the track. You know, you're not going to, when you play in a team sport and you're around each other, you know, for seven, eight months of the year, you're going to get on each other's nerves at times and you're going to, there's going to be some friction um, and there's going to be some conflict. But I don't think conflict's necessarily a bad thing in sport. Um, it's just different opinions and different ways of going about it and, and it helps us to then sit down and go, right, we've got two different ways of doing it and some or five, six, seven different ways, which, which one suits us best and how we're going to go about it. Clearing the air, um, it's, it's, it's very important, I think. And you said like taking it out right away after practice is probably very effective because if you, li- if you leave things unsaid, you just don't know which direction they get interpreted and they just linger for a longer period. And then at some point during the season, they come out, you know, like in a relationship, sometimes you just swallow things. And then at some point it just explodes. And then all of a sudden you hear about stuff that you did five months ago or whatever. So <laughs> I, I assume, I assume, I think I, I know in a team environment, if if you are quiet, if you don't talk about it, then things like that can happen as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think most of the time, um, not even just in, in a sporting team, but most of the time we tend to address our issues when we're really pissed off. It's like, all right, I've had enough. I'm going to, I'm going to go in and and do something about it now. Whereas if we can, if we can talk about stuff, you know, when it first happened or before we're really pissed off or just go, Hey, I'm, I'm noticing you're doing this. Why, why is it happening that way? Um, we, we can preempt a lot of those things um, and save the massive blow ups. So uh, just to, just to uh, get back on the AFL topic a little bit. Um, when you, when you, like you experienced the AFL And we talked about it on a, on a, on a phone call uh, a couple of days ago of the difference of mindset of that there's no other AFL in, in, in the world. AFL is basically, it's just in Australia. So there's a limited opportunity. So players are automatically more committed and dialed in. And talking about career, how like what's the average span of an AFL career? Because in the NFL, it's three years. Yeah, I think it's two and a half years, the average um, AFL career. So And I think after their first draft, it's a guaranteed two years. So there's not many who tend to go on after those two years. But if they do, like if they're playing, if they get through that third and fourth year, a lot of a lot of them might play eight to ten years type thing. And that's you know that there's very few who play more than ten years because the body's probably beaten up after that a fair bit. So you so you did have a relatively long career compared compared to that on the on the, on the average side. <laughs> But yeah, well, I suppose comparatively. Yeah, comparatively. But what's the, what do you think is the difference uh, now that you experience also uh, the Australian national team, the Boomers side, and the uh, um, uh, Melbourne United as 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 like in a different whole season, ten uh, ten month season type of um, uh, stretch? Where do you see the biggest difference between the AFL and the basketball side? We're going to talk about the difference of of national team and 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 club. But when you think about think back yeah. about the AFL culture and the basketball culture, where do you see the biggest difference? Uh, I think that I think the biggest difference is the AFL culture that tends to be you come in really early and 
you know, every year there's five or six kids come into the at 18. And it's really it's sort of encouraged for them to play pretty quickly. So there's a steep learning curve for those for those new players every year. Uh, basketball tends to be a little bit less uh, movement in terms of, you know, people are not really breaking into starting fives until their you know, mid-20s and so forth, whereas, whereas AFL sort of, if you haven't broken into the side by your early 20s, you're probably not going to make it. Um, so basketball's, you can, there's a little bit more time, but, but I suppose that comes from having less people on the court or on the field. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got eight, 22 people play every footy game and they all share their time evenly, whereas a basketball, you've got 12 guys on the on the um, team, but only five of them are on the court at a time. So, so there tends to be um, much more competition for those minutes. Um, so it tends to be a little bit different. But I suppose the the other difference for football and, and basketball is that you 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 can be at the opposite end of the of the field to someone in your team. So you know the the, the field's 180 meters long. So if someone's at full back and someone's at full forward, you don't really have that many conversations with them or during the game, um, and really reliant on too much of them. So it's more you'll have people you link with really closely, and you need to actually understand them and understand their running patterns and and their preferences. Whereas I think basketball, it is it's incumbent upon all those people on the court because they're so entwined in everything they do. Yeah, yeah. That's there's there's also a lot of players uh, on a basketball roster that I mean, not a lot of players, but in every, on every team there's couple, several players that hardly ever play. So that's that's a different dynamic where you also have to kind of keep them engaged and have them invested and dialed in throughout the season and not to lose them because when injuries come, they're going to have to be ready. Yeah, that's probably the toughest thing I've seen about basketball is that that mindset of the player who goes to a game expecting not to play. And it's, <laughs> you know, it is different. Um, I've always thought that, you know, the teams who have the the largest number of people, and this was particularly in the AFL, who believe they can influence the result, the better off they are. Um, you know, you don't want a whole host of people who go, oh, I'll, I'll just play a little small minor role and I don't really impact whether we win or lose. Um, that's not, you know, great for a whole a whole team. So um, the more of that you can have in basketball, but but obviously you, you might only have seven or eight guys that hit the, hit the court. So finding meaningful um, contributions from those other guys, it's, it's, it's what they see, what they can say, how they can communicate with their teammates who are on the court um, can be really important. So you actively engage with those, uh, also with those end of the bench guys to have them be cognitively aware of what they can do and when they can do it. Is that yeah, something you yeah, active, so. actively approach? Yeah. So I mean, if you think about the Boomers squad um, from year, from past years, you've got players in that squad, you know, who are the eleventh and twelfth players who are starting five or, or MVPs of their team. Um, you know, and so, but but they've got a wealth of knowledge as well. So it's a ma- making sure that they can share that knowledge, and you know, hey, make sure you, when you're seeing this happen. You know, Damian Martin was a great one with the Boomers. He, he, you know, he was MVP of the NBL for a number of years, and then you know played a large bench role for the Boomers. But but his experience was invaluable, and to go, okay, well, I'm seeing something. I can talk about it. I, you know, I can challenge different things. You know, he was, he was a great defensive player. So, you know, he would keep an eye out for, this is what they're doing a little bit. I can go and contribute um, to the people in defense with Dally or Patty or different things like that as well. So is that, like, obviously, that's a vast difference between national and team because you've got the, all the elite players and Melbourne United or any other club that that has, when it's, it's trickled down at the end of the bench, you probably have more young guys that are that are going to have to accept the role. But 
giving this this voice and this ownership because in the boomers there was no captain as i understand throughout throughout the years with lamanis uh where everybody was had an e- even voice and and had uh, as much input as as the first the first and the last guy is that right yeah well that was that was the intended um process with us because when you as you said you take people with a wealth of experience and say oh we're going to have a captain or a leadership group you know and leadership groups became a, a quite a fad there for a while um but if you've got if you've got 12 really experienced guys you say right we're going to have a leadership group of four or five well who do you leave out you know and yeah. and why do you leave them out so you know so for us it was around particularly in basketball it's like you've got some really experienced people you don't want to shut them down or feel like they can't contribute um by by delineating a leadership um, group or, or forum. Yeah, you 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 can't pre-designate, I think, people, right? Like you you still, sometimes the guy, the more quiet guy, sometimes has something genius to say, he's just quiet. So you also have to encourage those guys to speak up whenever they have something valuable to say because they can help the team. Yeah, absolutely. And that's not to say that though, you know, those teams didn't have people step up and lead at different times. And I think that's that, to me, is also the art of leadership. It, you know, the... Really good leaders also know when to follow and when to follow someone else and support someone else as the leader. So, you know, if, if someone's doing something and, and you know they're doing a really good job or they're trying to push push an agenda that that you believe is good, then jump in behind them and help them out. So, so for me, it's about how how much we're prepared to help others as leaders as well as just be a leader ourselves. So let's talk about leadership a little bit because we talked a little bit about also uh, ownership and giving the players ownership and communicating as we we're talking uh, amongst each other. How much of a voice are, are the players uh, allowed to have or should have uh, in order to keep the process moving and facilitate a successful season? Whereas, like sometimes in 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 Europe, you find also you find that less. You know, you have sometimes coaches that are a little bit more rigid, a little bit maybe a little bit have a different uh, um, old school approach, where it's more my way or the highway. But you you also want to have to engage the players in some some form or fashion, right? So where is the line that you draw between giving them ownership and also kind of retreating it? Yeah, so for me, the, the more ownership a player takes, generally the more invested they are and, and the more they engage with their brain. So, for instance, if you, if you, and this was probably, let's, if I use a rugby league as an example, 20 or 30 years ago, uh, they tended to say, right, players just come along, don't bring your brain to training, just do exactly what I say. When I blow the whistle, do this. When I, and the players tended to not bring their brains along. And, but you had a number of really, intelligent players and, and high IQ players who weren't really engaging with, you know, thinking about it during the day and, and so forth, which which gave a, a poorer product and you ended up making poorer decisions on the on the field. Um, for me, th- there's no real right or wrong around how much empowerment you give or how much involvement, but, but it, to me it always comes down to the coach. So the coach still has, no matter how much empowerment you give or how much Uh, you know, entitlement you give to the players, the coach still has the final decision. Um, so when I work with the coaches, it's it's just a, of, often around, hey, listen to everything they've got to say. You don't have to do it. You just have to listen to it, you know. So and some if you if you never listen and never take on the players' advice, then they're going to stop giving advice and they're going to stop contributing. But if you go, oh, good idea, yeah, I like that, let's go with it, um, then, you know, it, it tends to work. When you send to say, oh, look, hey, I'm not this time. I'm, I'm going with this. I like this idea. I'm going to stick with mine. Let's let's do it that way. Then the players understand that, yeah, that's the prerogative of, of a coach, and, and we're okay with that. 
it, like there, there is this um, definition of a player coach, right? That that's really in tune with the players, what they want, what they kind of, what they like, what they like listening to them and engaging with them. And that's usually former players that become coaches that have more of that because they've gone through the same thing. So there's a little bit more of a relationship in uh, with the player, but there's also a fine line, I think, um, giving the guys ownership and listen to them. And like, I, I agree with you that they're more invested because it's like you set them, you ask them how they want to defend certain actions or pick and rolls or, or screens and they, you go with their idea, then they're going to be 110% dialed in because they don't want to, they don't, they want to prove you, they want to prove you wrong or prove themselves right, rather. Uh, but there is a, a fine line also where guys kind of expect to be pampered all the time and they just have to want, want to have things handed to them a lot, you know, whether it's shots, whether it's more playing time, whether it's just, just, uh, uh, like coming to them and and, and giving them a, a you know like chin stiffen up your upper lip or whatever, but like just a little bit of pep talk. Where, where is that 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 line where you draw as for the coach to give advice to where like okay like go until here but not further because there's also a a a, a fear of losing control of the team and so, to a certain regard. Yeah, absolutely, and I think I think that can happen um, if you just throw it over and go. We'll do everything you want. But for me, um, it's around getting the players to understand the choices about what they want to do or don't want to do shouldn't be around what they like. It should be around will it make us better. And so generally that's when I tend to have discussions with players around, okay, oh, you want to do that? Well, how, why? Why do you want to do that? Will it make us better or is it just easier for you? Because we don't want to go down the easy road all the time because the easy road doesn't get you success. So, so for me, it's about having the conversation and, and educating the players around the, the reasons why things are done. So, you know, it's, it's almost like that parent. The kids hate it when you say to them, because I said so, you know, and players <laughs> hate it when the coach says, just do it because I said so. If you can just say, hey, do it because of these reasons and here's, why, here's what the benefit will get from doing this, then players generally jump on board and say, great, because I haven't seen a group of players yet that doesn't want to win. Um, and so if you can, and with my line of work, you know, people used to come in and say, oh, we, we want to be this sort of team because we, we want to be nicer people and those sort of things. Yes, nicer people is a great thing to have on the side, but if it doesn't impact your performance and your wins and losses, then people aren't usually going to buy into to a, a heavy level. Yeah, that's I, I completely agree with that. Um, you coming into the team, and uh, there was one other thing I wanted to ask, but I'll, I'll get to that later on that time. But you come into the team, um, establishing values. Where do you start from the beginning? What's what's the first first thing you do when you come into the team that that, that brings you on, and you're trying to impact the culture? Is there something analysis that you make of the current situation? Uh, is there something that you that you kind of um, talk through the coaches and try to see what they want, or where, or do you have like a an ethos that you come with from the beginning? Um, the ethos I sort of come with from the beginning is really around t- all the teams that I've seen that, that work really well have got two general things in common. Um, one is they agree on how they want to go about it. But, so there, there's, there's, there's clear expectation on, on, on behaviour, so to speak. So it's, it's, we're gonna, if we're going to go out and train, this is how we're going to go about it. If I'm going to talk to you, this is how I'm going to go about it. So they're all really clear about what the way they go about it. Now, in terms of... Uh, Often it's mentioned as culture, the culture of a group and different things like that. But too often our culture is left to luck. And so if someone was you know, strong or someone, it's also 
driven, and this is what we do often with our teams, it's driven by what we reward. So if you give someone court time because they, you know, leak out of defense and get a couple, you know, get some fast break laps and all those things. And we go, oh, great, he scored 20 points. Let's put him on the court more. But he's done the wrong thing defensively and all those. And what we're doing is rewarding the wrong things. So, you know, if we're talking about the team we want to be, it's understanding that if we're going to be this team, we're going to start to reward people for that by giving them more court time, another contract, all those sort of things. So really linking the way you want to be as a team with what you reward. Um so they're, they're really what the constructs are we do first off. So the one is agreement on, on how we're going to go about it. And the second thing that we work heavily on is those relationships so that we can help each other to deliver on what we said we wanted to be. Uh, and no point just saying, oh, this is how we're going to be, good luck, have a go at it. Because uh, people are going to get it wrong at times. They're going to come in, they're going to be frustrated, they're going to have, a, you know, something's going to be wrong either off the court or on the court. And they're going to have those days where they're just, you know, not feeling it. It's how their teammates respond to it and, and help them. And that's where I say, see, you know, if you talk about a leader, it's one thing, yes, live the way we want to live, do the things we want you to do, but then help others to do it. You know, if you just do it yourself and don't care about how others do it and, and you aren't prepared to go any way to help others, then that's not really a leader. It's just a good pro. Um, so th- there is a distinct difference between the two. So, okay, so like you're, you're rewarding the right stuff as i if i if i if i put it in in uh um explanation not, not how you call them again um italics or? yeah italics uh look we'll italics uh, if if you if you want to reward the right behavior so if you do have a good offensive player and you are driven though by defense and you want your 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 core values to reflect on defense by working hard by fighting through screens and but the good offensive player is slacking off on that end, but he's still helping you to maintain your offense and scoring. Do you sacrifice your 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 um, success or like Im- imminent success? Maybe it's not long term, but it's imminent success for your values that you want to long t- build long term and send a message to the team. Or how how far do you let it slide uh, until you see that there is no 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 way back? Because one guy can impact the whole group. You know, when you see an offensive player gets rewarded, although he's not defending, then it sends a wrong message as well. Yeah, well, I suppose, yeah, I would say nip it in the bud as quickly as you can because it, he may not be the best defender out there, but if he's not trying, he's not going to be a very good defender either. Yeah. Um, so, so for, and, and what it does, it cascades down. So if, if I'm a reasonable offensive player, maybe not as good as that guy, but I go, oh, geez. He's saving himself on defense. Maybe if I save myself on defense, I'll be better at offense too. So in, whether it's um, subconscious and different things like that, players will tend to go, oh, geez, that's getting rewarded. Maybe I can do more offense and I'll be rewarded as well. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it certainly has – I think it has an impact. Um, but, but saying that as well, you might have someone who has to work – that hard in offense that you are you create an environment for him in defense where where he's got more protection. But again, it's it's going back to the way that the group wants to go about it. If the group has an open discussion and says, geez, Trent's really good at offense, let's make sure we cover him in defense so he's got more energy to work on offense, great. You know, and everyone can buy into that. But it's when it when you don't talk about it and when you go, oh crap, here we go again, Trent's not playing defense, that's when it impacts the team adversely. Great, great segue to communication because of the communication part to to talk amongst teammates and uh, whether it's player to player or coach to player or player to coach, vice versa. 
um, or you to the players. I mean, there's a lot of dynamics that are happening at the same time. How do you encourage somebody to that's maybe not as talkative and not as uh, outroverted as as some other guys on the team? How do you encourage them to to give their input and like you know like we talked about it also that media is part of the game. You're going to have to talk at some point, but there's some guys that are a little bit more introverted and still need to contribute to the to the whole um, culture of the team. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, I think it, it is different. We, we certainly try and um, put people in positions to, to grow in that area, to grow in, in communication because, you know, whether it's culturally, some, culturally sometimes or whether it's just innate in them, they, they're, not, they're a bit shy, a bit introverted. I think it's also making sure that they're comfortable. So what we tend to do is put them in, do some small groups, pair up, just have one-on-one -on -one conversations. Everyone prefers to have conversations in a different way, in a different format. So making sure they get the opportunities to do those things is, is important. But secondly, to stretch them, you know, I, I think if, if someone says, oh, I don't really like to do that or I prefer not to speak to a group, you know what? Sometimes you just have to do what you don't want to do. So, you know, if, if someone said to me, oh, I don't really like dribbling left-handed, the coach wouldn't say, oh, that's all right, then don't worry about it. You know, we'll cut off your left hand. It, it, you know, it doesn't it, – it, it's, it's not um, – okay just to say I don't like it so I'm not going to do it if you if it if you believe as a group that it's going to help the team so you know there's certain things that if it doesn't matter it doesn't make an impact on you on your game or your performance or your team culture then it doesn't really matter but if it does if you believe it has a, a, a meaningful outcome towards whether we win or lose then we have to try to get better at it Yeah, at some point the weakness the weakness will be glaring, right? Whether it's communication, left weak left hand, or 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 bad shooting, at some point everybody's going to see, and it's going to look bad in 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 one regard or the other. And especially in a team uh, environment on the court during the games, communication, but also off the court communication is something that needs to be actively uh, pursued and actively encouraged. Because sometimes you have one vocal leader on a team, and then all of a sudden. He's impacting everybody else because it's contagious. But then if he's out, if he's injured, if he's in foul trouble and has to go to the bench or has to go to the locker room, all of a sudden you 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 feel the energy is kind of dropping, right? There's not, not the loud voice in the room anymore that gets everybody going. How do you pick that up? How do you uh, supplement that if the guy is not around anymore? Do you have coaches assistant coaches uh, supplement that a little bit during the during the games or do you, there's a certain kind of um pickup that needs to happen at that point yeah uh, it's, it's certainly trying to pick it up on the spot but uh, if i go back oh, probably nearly 20 years ago maybe it's probably 15 15 years ago um i did a bit of work with melbourne storm uh rugby a rugby league club in in australia here and they had a guy who was really vocal cooper cronk he you know he He was one of the leaders of the group and seen as one of the really good leaders of, of rugby league and played with the Australian team. And he he was that sort of guy. He was always up and about. He was always talking um, to the point where I actually said, I had to say to him with training, hey, I want you not to say a word today for the next five days of training. I don't want you to talk. And you should have seen how bad training went for that week and Craig Valley wasn't all that wrapped with me. But, <laughs> but it was an exercise in, hey, what? to say to the boys, what happened when Coop went down? What if Coop doesn't play next week or, you know, what happens there? So we've actually got to train to understand that, hey, when someone goes down, we all need to step up. And hopefully that's a, that for them they go, oh, geez, well, maybe if we did 
stepped up to that level all the time, there wouldn't be so much pressure on some one person to be so vocal and we'd actually be a better unit. Um, so, yeah, you, you certainly can do things about it prior to that person going down and, and, and something happening or going out of the game. Um, but, yeah, at, at times then you'd be tapping someone to say, right, someone's down, you need to step up and, and make sure the voice is up here. Yeah, there's, there, there's, it's a huge... It's underappreciated, right? When this one guy is talking, it feels like it's it's natural. But then all of a sudden, if he's not talking, then nobody is talking. And then all of a sudden, you feel you feel a little bit naked. Uh, we used to do that um, exercise uh, in in Moscow, but also with the national team. We did it with before games on the road, where we knew the crowd was going to be loud, to have them actively communicate in practices where we turned we brought in the music and we really when we scrimmage, we just played the music very loudly. And the practice where usually it's quiet, right? And then the guys were, like, first of all, in shock because they didn't expect it. We didn't tell them beforehand. So the first time it went chaotically, it was a little <laughs> bit different different approach. But then the second time it was like, okay, now we know what to expect. And it was more game-like. Um, there's also exercises that where I've heard where the coaches don't say anything during practices and they let the players run the practice and they, they run the drills and they talk about it. Is there any kind of... Uh, uh, exercises or any kind of active um, approach that you active measures you think that are, are are good to facilitate good communication yeah I think so I think um, I think rugby union were very good and, and you talk about the all blacks they do a captain's run and most rugby union teams do a captain's run the day before the game which which is run by the players so the coaches you know sit in the grandstands and and don't really have have too much impact on it so that's reliant on the players doing everything um, I think for those field sports it is a little bit different too because the coach is so far away from the action. You know, basketball, the coaches are up, they're talking the whole game, you know, they're, they're speaking to the players as they go past, they can call the plays. Um, in in rugby union, Australian rules football, the coach can't call a play from up in the you know, grandstand, it's just not going to happen. Uh, you can't get to all 18 people over spread over a, you know, 180-metre field. Um, so the players have to be really vocal with each other in those circumstances. Um, I've certainly seen it work well. I've seen different areas um, Coaches not talk. Coaches, I know when we did the boomer stuff, it's it's quite interesting. You talk about the way you adapt and do different things, but but I think challenging them afterwards is all always a great way. Um, uh, we used to do scrimmages and they'd play green versus gold all the time, and and it used to be the team they'd play three mini games, and you know the first I remember vividly, and one of the guys I, I, who's quite a good leader within the Boomers. I remember vividly they had a first game. The green team lost pretty badly. Uh, the guy, one of the one of the senior guys, had missed a, missed a foul shot late um, in the game. So at the end of the break, he went off, started practicing his foul shots. They lost by eight. And I said to him, so you're missing one foul shot. Did that lose you the game? He said, no. I said, well, why are you practicing your foul shots? He said, well, you know, don't want to miss. And he did, He was, you know, 90-odd percent fast for a shooter. He was a good fast shooter. But I said, to me, it would be better off getting over there and talking with your teammates about what you'd need to do in coverages, how, what plays you're going to run differently because you lost by a lot. Like, you've got to change that. Sometimes we get so fixated in what our simple role was that we forget about the, the team. And so, um, you know, that challenge for me is always get them in. Right, where did it go wrong? I went wrong here. What did you do about it then? Oh, nothing. I just let it go. We'll talk about it at the time out. Well, 
hang on, that's not going to work or we can't talk about it after the game. I've always believed, yes, debrief the ga- debrief after the game, but I only then bring it back to what could I have done differently during the game. Um, and so for me, that's the lesson I always want to take from, from whether you win or lose. What did we do during the game to change where we're at? Yeah, that's that's. I agree with that um, notion that a lot of a lot of players do take too much responsibility on their one free throw or two free throws, which is still important. It's still a part of of the whole equation, but a lot of times it's also not. Uh, it's a co- accumulation of possessions, right? Like there's one like teams teams lose by uh, two points, and it's not necessarily the last possession that lost in the game, or or the, the possession prior, but It's a lot of times it's accumulations, maybe a, a, a stretch of three bad turnovers in the second quarter or whatever. Like there's, it's it's a it's a game of runs. So I think a lot of players need to, need to be also cognizant of of understanding of what impact really of theirs impacted the game uh, at the bottom line. Absolutely, and and when we when we talk about that, you know, that Burma squad that we're we're developing, and they talk about the culture within the Burma squad. It was about helping your teammates, being you know, not about. And even in selection, I, I said to Dre really early on, um, if we're going to, if you're going to pick a team that you want to be high on culture and helpful of each other, there's no point not bringing that in before selection, because if we go out and say, "Hey, let's pick the guy who's who just dominated and did everything for himself," then you're going to get people who still continue. Oh, that's what got me selected. I'll keep doing that. If you're going to want to be a team that helps each other, then you need to focus on that during the selection process. And so, you know, we would we'd debrief it you know, after you know, in those scrimmages. And generally, the teams that got together and talked in that two-minute drink break between scrimmages would win the next scrimmage. Mm-hmm. And so us saying to them, well, okay, what did you talk about? What did you do? How did you do it? You didn't just think about how you can score and look good. They talked about how we can operate and who's got advantages, all those sort of things. And we're going, hey, that's what we want. We want a team who evaluates the opposition, where our advantages are, rather than just go, give me the ball, I want to score. You know, I want to look good for the team, so the coach so I can get in the team. So, again, we, we really do try and try and bring that back into the selection process. Okay, good. So th- this selection process, I had marked a little bit later, but I'm going to jump ahead and then I'm going to jump back on, on what I wanted to talk about as well. But selection process, roster buildup, not necessarily with the national team, but so maybe much more in the club because in the club it's a it's a long term, and you have contracts, you have more accountability, you have you have you know there's there's um, uh, the 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 professional side of it, which you know a national team it's it's obviously professional, but it's also loyalty and 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 pride, and there's a different dynamic when you come. People are more willing to sacrifice in the national team than they are in the club. But when you come and you recruit players for the for the for the club, uh, one bad see, one bad apple can ruin the whole bunch, right? So how much, uh, if you are able budget wise to get a very talented player that may not be in tune with your culture, how much are you willing to sacrifice for him not being as committed maybe to the culture? Uh, in in return to being probably the most talented player you can have on your team, would you still recruit him? Would you still bring him in, or and and run the risk of ruining the whole bunch, or and, and bring him in and take a chance and try to form him and hope that the rest of the culture impacts his mindset as well? Where's where do you where 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 is the the line drawn? Uh, less and less, I'm likely to, I'm likely to bring them in. I think at times. You know, clubs I've been with, we've said, yeah, well, I think we're strong enough culturally to deal with it. 
Um, but what it does, it puts a hell of a lot of pressure on everyone else. You know, if you've got if you've got one, but if you've got two or three key members of your group, you've put a hell of a lot of pressure on the rest of your leaders to to drive standards and to bring them to line. It ends up becoming, you know, there's too much conflict then, where it's like, shit, I'm asking you every day to do the right thing, and you don't. You know, and so that's that's where you've got that lack of respect and. Um, that that never translates to a good team. I think I think what we try and do when the clubs I work with is focus on. And when you said we're more likely to sacrifice for our national team, uh, I'd like I'd, I'd contradict that. You know, I think good teams understand that there needs to be sacrifice to to be successful. Um, you know, sacrifice on how many shots you're going to take, how many you know, how many minutes you're going to get. If you want to play a certain style and, a, and be really and have a good enough team to generally win, everyone's going to play less minutes than they would like to play at times. Instead of someone saying, "I'm going to play 35 minutes," well, you might only play 28 to 30. Um, and making sure that people understand that that it brings a good result at the end um, is, I suppose, the balancing act. Um, that that really good teams try and do. Yeah, I I think um, I agree with you that one guy is probably still handleable. <laughs> I just invented a word yeah. handle handleable. Uh, <laughs> for, um, but two two guys that have the same mindset and they have uh, me uh, above the team mindset that maybe are not in line. Sometimes lower budget teams have to go take their risk. They have to go get, get those two or three guys that are just extremely talented, but have a little bit different mind of their own. And then hope that everybody else adjusts. So you sacrifice a little bit of your, of your values and uh, probably um, identity, but uh, higher budget teams that have the luxury to, to an extent to choose between one guy or the other. I agree that two is probably too much already. You will have to have um, the the majority, the vast majority, in tune with your culture. But how how do you think? Because there's a turnover in, in 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 every summer, right? There's new contracts coming in in Europe more so than in the NBA. But there's there's turnover, and you bring in new guys in. Do you how how important do you see captainship in this uh, in, in this whole process? Because the new guys come in and they all immediately have to be set in line, so the locker room has to be in place for them to immediately be absorbed by the by the mindset and the culture of the team. Yeah, look, I, I think the captaincy is, is a is an important thing, but I, I think leaving it to one person to induct them and to show them the way is is doomed to fail. Um, you know, you've got. People of all different ages and different interests, and and that click differently. And, and I've always believed, uh, and we heavily rely on relationships to bring people into the group. Now, if you're not prepared to invest time in that person, invest um, a bit of yourself and a bit of you know, show them around, you know, talk to them, understand them, then it's really difficult to then say, "Hey, come do it this way." Yeah, I've always thought that the leadership as a as a as a verb or a doing thing is someone generally following you and people don't tend to follow someone unless they believe in that person and think that person cares where they're going or, you know. so for me a, a really good leader invests that time and, and develops the relationship whereas hey I've got I'm looking out for you I'm looking out for us and I want you to do this for these reasons uh, I think that's when when you can get a good result but if you don't invest the time it's just you know 
and a leader says you you got to do it this way. You're like, why? Why do I have to do it that way? I don't want to do it that way. Yeah. You know, so I think that the understanding is really important. But but being able to have those conversations and then, you know, this the club or the coach having the strength to follow through on it and say, hey, this is the way we do things. If you don't, if we all think that this is going to make us better. If you don't want to do them, then you probably shouldn't be here. Yeah, and investing time off the court more so, right? I mean, like like it, going out for for a coffee, showing them maybe the, the locals, showing them around in the city, showing them new spots where they can go to, and spending away from the court just to give them a little bit more of a friendship feel and not a, just a team a team teammate robot kind of feel because you you want to be invested in that person, not that player. Yeah, I think a bit of both. Like in terms of you still want to be invested in them on the, on the court as well. Like, you know, if you're seeing them do something that's great, how did you do it? If you're seeing them do something that didn't help them, sitting down and, and having a look through, you know, hey, let's play one-on-one, -on -one. Let's, let's look at how that might work differently. You know, investing that time and just actually caring that they get better as, as a player is helpful as well because, you know, no one wants to, to stand still in, in terms of their ability. So the fact that if other players are out there trying to invest in you, your teammates and help make you better, that straight away um, sparks a, hey, you, I, get, hey, I get what you're doing, you're trying to help me and make me better. And everyone wants to do that. So, okay, let's tr let's talk about the this this relationship, but also about the uh, trust and transparency factor, which I marked down as well. Trust is a big thing. And and I I lean towards being probably too transparent at times. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a relatively transparent person and and open and I want to do that. And if if people don't like it or if people um like because sometimes it can be mistaken for weakness as well. Like when you're true transparent, you're like you're showing your true colors, you're showing you're showing you're showing your emotions, good or bad, you're making yourself vulnerable. But I believe that this gets you to a certain level. If it's meant to be, it's going to get you to a certain level of friendship and certain level of cooperation and, and uh, involvement, investment, because you are open and you're ho hoping the other person is open as well. Is there a line for you that you feel like, uh, whether it's as a coach or as a player amongst players, uh, that uh, maybe in particular assistant coach to, to, to the players that you draw a line of being not too transparent in some regards? With respect to the co head coach's position, because you have to protect his authority, but there's a lot of transparency that's required, and I'm wondering where there can be a line. Yeah, I think I think it's it's it is a touchy one, but I, I think for me, an assistant coach can have a great relationship with the players and tends to sometimes at times get closer with the players. This, you know, it's not seen as that authority level. But what the danger in that is. If the assistant coach is saying things that aren't in line with what the whole coaching staff wants, then you can get conflicting messages in a player going, oh, crap, the head coach hates me, when it's not the case. It's, hey, we want you to do it this way. Um, I think if that's that's where the transparency, I don't think there's such a thing as being too transparent. I think there's something to if, you, if you're consistent. So if you're transparent and you're consistent around what you're saying, but if you're, if you're transparent and and not saying the same things to both ends, then that's when you get in all sorts of trouble. Um, you know, I suppose, you know, at the moment we've got um, in Melbourne United, there's a couple of, you know, Reese Carter's a young coach. You know, he's, he's only just come out of retirement um, from, from playing. David Barlow's the same. But, there, the, you know, the coaches 
at Melbourne United speak so openly with each other, they're all on the same page and they're all in agreement. And if there's if there's dispute at that level, they'll have a pretty good, robust conversation. And okay, what are we what are we going with? What do we actually want from this player in the end? And they all, when they talk to the player, will talk about the same things. They might do it in a different way and they've got different skill sets, but certainly they're not saying, hey, go and do this when it's not what the group wants. Okay, when and when when the assistant coaches and you're probably as well, when you're talking to the players and you address you address certain topics that are maybe touchy and but also want to facilitate their growth within the group, and you address reputation. As you talked also about your your experience uh, as a player in the AFL, how do you how do you address reputation? How do you want to get them in, invested into having a better reputation? Do you do you set certain goals for them, certain standards, or do you expect them to have a certain idea already? Because sometimes they don't maybe not necessarily know what their reputation should be at the end of their career, what they want it to be. Yeah, I suppose that's the discussion piece. You know, even. Recently, just just saying to people, what it, at the moment, how do you think people would describe you? You know, if you've just left an, an opposition club, you know, I often say, what do you, what do you, if if you're at Sydney Kings or so, what do you, what do they say about Melbourne United? What you know, how do they talk about us? Because then we get to decide, geez, do we like that? Because if we do, great. Yeah, if they think we're you know not nice people or different, yeah, <laughs> they think we're arrogant or so forth. I, I'm okay with that. Um, but if they think if they went and say hey, they don't look like they try or they you know different things like that, then we've got a real issue. Um, so for me, having a having a bit of a think about what am I known for, um, and then am I happy with that? So think about the way you want to be talked about by your teammates, not necessarily by the opposition so much. But what do you want your teammates to be saying about you? What do you what do you want your fans to be saying? And, and are we okay with that? Um, and that really can govern a little bit of our decision making. So if I want, if I want to be known as the hard worker, then I can't slack off, you know, a couple of times a week. If I want to be um, known as an honest person, I can't then tell you lies. You know, it's it's really being as simple as what do you want to be known for? What do you want to hang your hat on as you as a true self? And um, and let's get on with it. So, and but also when you have those conversations, guys have different ways of receiving the message. Guys have different ways of getting getting to the touchy spot. That's why some assistant coaches are better talking with certain players than others. And there's like, there's a dynamic between different people within the group. Uh, how do yeah. you adjust to learning styles and, and guys, not, not necessarily into the philosophy or team culture aspect, but also in learning styles within the uh, basketball tactical part. Is there certain, certain exercises you do and uh, certain things to figure out each guy's, each, each player's uh, learning style? Yeah, well, certainly something um, Dean does a, a great job of. He certainly asks a lot. Well, how do you like to learn? Do you like to watch it on tape? Do you and and but we do all of those things. So what they'll tend to do is go through a system and say, well, this is the way the guy, this guy likes to learn. We almost profile the people um, as we go along. We say, geez, when he, when we show him on tape, he gets it right. When we just talk to him about it, he gets it wrong. Okay, well, let's let's make sure we develop that. But but we've also then got to understand if they don't get it well just from talking about it because in timeouts or at, at, you know on the fly, we've got to be able to talk about it. So, yes, we want to increase that, the ability to learn that way by by repetition and showing and then maybe talking about it and then showing some tape, you know, or then showing tape, then talking about it. So just changing the way, the order of things. Um, but I still think that there needs to be a growth if there's a gap in each one of those learning um, styles. 
but there's also a lot of transparency in that. Like you, the, the player has to trust that his strength or weakness will get also used the right way in terms of learning style. Because like he has to admit that he's some he, he can't do something. So you have to get it out of him of what he can do better, right? In order to reach his highest potential. Yeah, and, and I think that's you know that's certainly the environment we try and create with the teams I work with at Melbourne United. And, and part of that is the coaches being open to improvement. You know, the head coach saying, "Hey, what am I doing well? What am I what am I doing poorly? Like, what what do you think I could do differently?" So, you know, getting input from from the other coaches, from the players, around what they find easier in his style and different things. So, you know, I think. Um, we're probably lucky in a way in Australia. There's a lot of a lot of coaches who believe, don't walk in here thinking I, I know everything. Most of the coaches are trying; they're going to other sports, they're going to other countries to learn and to find things. But one of their greatest resources are the people in front of them. You, you can be the greatest coach in the world of um, one group, and you go to another group, and you can't coach them for shit. And and it's simply because they don't get you. Um, so, so understanding that you've got to adapt to your to your people you're trying to coach is is just the same as adapting to your game style against an opposition. Yeah, I, I talked to Andre about it as well of talk, uh, coaching in different cultures. When you coach in uh, New Zealand Breakers, that there are certain cultural nuances you have to know that, like maybe one or two words from that culture will trigger a different reaction in different situations. And when you don't know. You may sometimes you you sometimes you 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 just don't know how to trigger, or sometimes you also inadvertently step into shit. You know, like it's it it can happen. <laughs> it can it can happen in both ways. Um, let yeah. address the other part. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. So the other the other extension of that is if you do stumble into something and do it poorly, then go back and revisit it and say, hey, I just found out I I said this and. It was a word, yeah. Or I, or I had this conversation with you, and it didn't go well. How are you feeling about it now? I've reflected. You know, I think sometimes we just go, "Oh shit, that was awkward." I'm not going back there. Rather than <laughs> going back there and saying, "Hey, that didn't go well," because that you both walked away knowing it didn't go well. You might as well, you know, put it out there that it didn't go well, and and how do we do it better next time? So that's also a good, um, a good. Th- segue because i had fear of failure um address and wanted to address as well fear of failure that's that was already like a a point of a coach failing to address something in the right way but also fear of failure in the players during the games there some guys are perfectionists and they have a fear of 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 not being perfect so and and inadvertently you tie you tense up when things are not going the way you imagine they should go right and that's there's been a lot of studies also that i heard on a recent podcast that perfectionists are more likely to to uh, um, choke under pressure because they have a certain tenseness about their their achievements and they want it a certain way. Do you address that kind of topic of fear of failure within the group and and not uh, being too tense in those tight situations? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, probably a good example um, who a guy I've worked with for a while now um, is Chris Goulding. He he used to say he used to be a bit of a perfectionist, and if he didn't do X, Y, and Z, he, he didn't feel comfortable. But I think over time he understands that it's the pre-work. He said, you know, if he does enough pre-work, then during game time everything should be okay. Now, if he misses a shot in game time, I know when I first started he was like, well, if I've missed a couple, I don't want to shoot again. And, and we sort of put it to the group and said, who's the most likely to make the next – if we've got a three-pointer now, who's more likely to make it? Well, Chris is. What if he's missed five in a row? Chris is. You know, so I think 
I think in in regards, the group was saying, we trust you. We, we know how much work you've put in. We know how good a shooter you are. Um, just because you've missed four or five or two or three or one, that doesn't make any difference. You're still a good shooter. Um, so I think the confidence that people can develop from their team and understanding that, hey, you know, if if the teams run this play for me, it's because they believe I'm pretty good at it. Um, so, you know, go ahead and knock it in. Yeah, I, I had that experience in college when I was playing, and I think the coach did it um, consciously because I was a freshman in college, and he stopped the whole group in practice when they didn't they didn't give. Uh, I'm, I'm not trying to boast here, but I I was a, a pretty fine shooter as well in my in my heyday. Uh, but he stopped the whole group, and he was the reason why I became a really good shooter because he stopped and told them that he's open. He, he's Bennis is going to have to receive the ball, whether you like it or not, he's going to have to get okay. Yeah. And, and after that point, my confidence level just went up. Maybe like if you go from 10 out of six, six out of 10, it was to, it went to eight out of 10, nine out of 10, because it was, it was ridiculous of what kind of green light I had, but everything else stopped. Yeah. I, I stopped dribbling, but my shot was just going <laughs> flying from everywhere. But that that kind of active approach, I think, by coaches also just give the player a little bit of a um, like taking the pressure off of them because the, it's especially and I know shooters sometimes overthink because they just want to have a certain way, certain foot footworks, everything has to be a certain certain kind of um, uh, rhythm, and when it's not there, you go you go you go into your own head, you go into a slump, and then you start to get out of it. So that's I think coaches need to have an active approach with shooters, uh, especially to take a little pressure off of them. Yeah, I agree. You know, I was never a shooter, so I don't, uh, <laughs> you don't really get the, the nuance of it. But um, look, to, to me, that that is is really a, a sort of a line to what I said earlier about when everyone thinks they can impact the result. So yes, the shooters need to need to be confident about their shooting, and their coach needs to invest in that. But just at the same time, they also need to invest in building the confidence of every member of that squad. Um, and that's not an easy thing because if someone's, you know, you can't make it up either because they know they know if you're trying to pump pump confidence into someone who's being terrible, yeah. you know, <laughs> that you can't go, oh, yeah, that was great because it wasn't, it was terrible. You know, so so it, it, it is a real balance um, because I, I, I firmly believe that no one makes an NBL roster or any team unless they're, they're pretty good. But what tends to happen is sometimes they come in and go, oh, crap, I was really good in that level below now I've come up and these guys are better than me and they their their confidence just starts to erode uh and then their you know their teammates look at them and the coach looks at them and they sit on the bench and they end up rotting down there you know so for me it's around understanding that hey if if you're in the squad you're usually there for a reason um and, and let's try and somehow make sure that they they retain that confidence uh, and finding them ways to get wins um, whether that's a training or whether that's you know in 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 games getting him in as early as you can. I know that you know the old junk time in basketball has always been a been a, in my mind around. Geez, can we do we need to wait till junk time? You know to to let because then junk time turns out to be you know you can't show that you can run a system because everyone's just throwing the ball at the ring at some stage. Yeah, and it's not conducive with with the with. Your system, you know, like it's it's a completely different mindset that you play at that point. At, at that, but uh, that's one thing also that uh, when you say that everybody who's on a roster deserves to be on the roster. So there's also uh, certain kind of conversations I heard or um, 
notion that I've, I've, I've listened to is that when somebody gets paid a salary, whether it's in business or in, in sports or whatever, and you can do it in a, in a faster amount of time, it's not that you get paid for the time that you, that you can get the workout done and for, because you can do it maybe quicker because of the experience you already have. So essentially you're getting paid because of what you did beforehand. You're getting paid now, maybe a lot of money, but it's because of the experience you have. So you deserve to be on this team and you deserve to get the pay because of what you've did, what you've done so far, not what you're going to go, going to do. So those contracts are kind of uh, hindsight vision, right? Yeah, they're back days off some. Yeah. yeah. But, but also I, I think sometimes, you know, when when we might if we get frustrated with a with a player or you know, someone in the team, whether it be a player or in a corporate setting, we 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 really decided as a coaching staff or a manager to hire that person in the first place. So they were doing something we really liked, or we just selected someone we shouldn't have selected. So either yeah. way, at some stage we really liked them. Um you know, and, and something sometimes goes wrong along the way, whether that's, oh, they didn't, they got injured and they weren't contributing or they sat on the bench so long that their body went sour and their mind went sour as well. And then they started to erode the team. So so I think there's certain things, uh, and that's to me is also expectation. You know, if you're, if you're recruiting someone that you don't believe is going to get much court time or is only going to play three or four minutes, don't communicate with them and say, hey, come along, you can play 15 minutes a game because – Automatically, we're setting expectations for conflict and and for disappointment, um, and that never goes really well. Agreed. Uh, expectations beforehand, when you're in the recruiting process, they have to be set right. That everybody either everybody's going to earn their stripes. There's no promises. It can be can be set on false expectations because you're heading for conflict either way. It's it's a very uh, very fine line. Um, before we go into a little bit about your profession, that I wanted to address a couple of things practically. Uh, but one more thing. On the perfectionist part, uh, when you see guys struggle, when you see guys being in their own head, there is a such thing in in Europe, and I'm sure in Australia because there's a very good coffee culture here. I can I can attest to that. But there is also a such thing as coffee meetings. All right. So when when is it? What cues do you look for in the player uh, when you there's a, a fine line of having too many meetings with the same player over and over again? Some guys like it, some guys don't. But when do you call them into a meeting when you say, all right, hey, let's pull them to the side. I want to talk to you a little bit about it. Just maybe vent a little bit if you see something that's wrong. Is there certain cues to look for, certain certain behavior behavior patterns throughout the, the week of practices that you see are, are heading down, sloping down? You're trying to catch them before they fall? Yeah, generally if there's a change in a little bit of a change in demeanor. Um you know, if if someone's coming in who's usually jovial and happy and all and they're and they're got the shits up or the different things like that, or they're just not, the effort doesn't seem to be there. But but we tend to, you know, I tend to catch up with the players in our squads on a regular basis. So, you know, trying to make sure that we, we see something or hear something prior to. Um, but we also, I we do a fair bit with the group, um, the groups I work with around, well, what do you see when this person starts to go off the rails? What do you see when they, when when a bad performance is coming? Um, and then what are you going to do about it? So we put a lot of a lot of emphasis on our teammates helping each other rather than the, the coaches have to be the, the fix-it for everyone. It's around understanding, hey, we, we, you know, the coaches aren't going to see everything. The players see each other more and they interact with each other more than the player, than the coaches do. So, you know, for, for me, them understanding each other's nuances and the, the way each other goes about it is is probably more beneficial than, than the coaches knowing it. 
Yeah, there's also a, a thing of having, hearing the coach's voice too often. <laughs> like the, yeah. the, the the players are just also tuned out at some point. So um, I agree. And that's, that's that goes down like full circle of what we talked about of building relationships throughout the season, communicating with each other, feeling more comfortable of approaching each other. And then hitting on those points or sore spots that sometimes are a little bit hard to address when a guy is struggling, it's, it's still your family. I mean, you're spending a lot of time with this, with this group. So you need to be able to approach each other and point things out, help them to get, uh, get a little bit of a pickup and, and then uh, somehow have them vent to you. Yeah. And, and I think the perf- performance and results tends to be uh, sort of the sum product of the way we think about ourselves and and the way and the way we've practiced things. So our skill level and the, and our confidence level, um, but that's also impacted by the people around us because we take in what people are saying. If someone says, "Geez, Trent's a bad shooter," and off and then I miss one, they go, "Yeah, there he goes again." You know, my mind starts to go, "Yeah, you're they're right. You're terrible." Um, so you know what we really do feed off, and particularly our coaching staff. If the head coach is telling me I'm terrible, then you know my my. Mine goes in a downward spiral pretty quickly, whereas if that you know your coaches and your teammates have got your back and they're supportive and they're encouraging and you know they're trying to provide you know an ability in an area where you're good at, then that can maintain that level of confidence and the level of performance for a, for a greater period. And there's also I think there's a cultural aspect that some cultures are more more lenient, more open to towards being positive. There's some cultures that are more negative. There are more um, head-on approach, more more of a solving through conflict, solve, which, is, like you said, conflict is not bad. And we did, uh, in, in a national team, we did have conflict. We had our most successful summers during conf- com- uh, conflict situations, you know, like, so there there is such thing, I believe, that is that maybe sometimes chemistry is not the end-all, be-all, but uh, resolving through conflict. Uh, Resolving conflict through clearing the air and and approaching it head on is is sometimes uh, the 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 recipe for success. Oh, absolutely! I, I certainly don't think that um, that those really good teams don't have conflict. Um, and and even if chem- sometimes with chemistry is there and everyone gets along so well, they tend to be a bit um, blasé and and it doesn't tend to be as combative as it needs to be because you've got to prepare yourself for opposition as well. Yeah, and the opposition aren't going to come in and welcome you into the court and you know, give you a high five and give you a cuddle when you need one. Yeah, they're not going to do that. So, you know, at times we need to train and be ready for physicality. Um, I know like um, when I, I do some work with the with New Zealand netball team and when I first came into there, they're like, oh, we don't, you know, we don't really want to tell each other that we were bad or anything like that. And I said, well, that's not what performance discussion is. The performance discussion is how do we, like, what do we like? What do we, you know, what can we do differently? And, and an example for them, and they talked about it after I first worked there. I, w- I watched training, and and the coach sort of said, "Oh, what do you what do you notice?" And I said, "I oh, just they were doing a drill, and someone passed the ball, a poor pass, and the and the girl who passed it said sorry. The girl who was supposed to receive it said sorry, and they both went back to their line and did it again, and did the same thing, and both said sorry again. And I said, "Okay, I just need to stop. What what are you sorry for? What are you sorry for? Like." I don't understand what you're sorry about. And it was just as simple as just talk about, oh, I, I didn't lead the right way, I didn't do this. I'm like, well, you just talk about, oh, I'm going to lead that way or when I'm doing this, I'm going to do that. So so just communicate really clearly about, 
what it is that went wrong and what you're going to do next time because then we won't make the same mistake over and over again. Um, so for, for me, that's the, the conflict is not necessarily um, a bad thing as long as you discuss it and work out a way to fix it. Yeah, I think that's also there's a cultural component from what I experienced because in Australia, it's, it's naturally kind people. Right, so so there's like this this natural kindness to each other. So you just kind of constantly could end up being saying sorry to each other just because of you don't you want you want the other person to feel comfortable and not and not to have any kind of conflict. So then naturally that kind of can lead to nothing. You know, like you just go in into like sorry sorry, <laughs> and then there's no yeah, no right. res, no resolution. That's, that's, that that is the worst thing that can happen. Everyone walks around and goes, "Oh, I don't want to offend anyone." You know, to me, it's a it, to me, and, and I probably have a different mindset. It's offensive if you don't tell me that I've done something that's hurt me or you. you know, because <laughs> how am I going to fix it? I, exactly. I, I have a I have a fervent belief that no one comes into training or a day of work and says, "You watch me screw this up for everyone else." You know, no one does that. But you know. Sometimes people end up screwing things up for people, so but but no one tells them. Yeah. So you know, making sure we can say, "Hey, that's that didn't work. It didn't help anyone. It actually made everyone's day terrible." Um, can we do it differently? Would be would be a much better way about it. All right. Before we are we good on time? We good yeah, on yeah, time? I'm good. Okay. Before we go into the ATOs, I still have like uh, two two questions that I wanted to address practically from your profession. Um, there's a difference between between obviously as we discussed national team and club national team is a short period and it's probably easier to be around the team full time because it's a it's a shorter smaller window do you address or do you um i suppose advise a person in your position uh in your profession is it possible or is there, is it possible to not be full around full time uh, around the team at the club to impact the culture, impact the the the, the process of, of of the whole value system that we talked about today, or do you is it you think is it necessary for a guy to be around twenty four seven around team to get a pulse for the team to get a, like the little nuances between each other the locker room does those help to 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 facilitate success? But do you think it's also possible because there's also teams that have don't have the budget to have somebody on full time to get, come in weekly, monthly meetings to see the, the practice schedule, to, to see the practices, talk to the coaches, talk to the players, because the players have to be comfortable with that person. It, it can be a, there's a German word, uh, um, uh, Fremdkörper. I don't know. It's like, it's, it's an, uh, uh, something comes from, uh, uh, that's not natural to your body, right? So uh, is, that is that necessary to be full-time, around full-time, or is it something that you can also have uh, in a part-time basis? No, I, I think you're better off not having a full-time basis. Um, I, I think you're better off being very much part-time. If you're full-time, uh, then it becomes your culture and your responsibility in my role, I believe. So what I want to do is have the team drive their own culture. I'm really the guy who asks the stupid question. Um, so, so in essence, and it's hard to ask that question if you, if you know the answer and if you should have fixed it. So you know, my role is generally to ask questions about the guys. What are you doing here? Is it helping you? Um, and having good relationships with those people in one-on-one, -on -one, but then making sure that they go and have good discussions with other people. So it might be that I prompt someone and go, oh, I noticed it. what's going on there with that, with that play. Oh, okay, why don't you sort it out? Like, um, have you sorted it out? Yeah, I have. Well, good, great. If you haven't, what do you need to do? So, you know, for me, it's a prompt every now and then. I think if I was there all the time, 
um, yeah, you, it might they might get sick of me firstly, but uh, but I don't. But but also, I don't think then the group would take ownership of their own culture and their own and drive it themselves. I so think, I think that's, that's it. sorry. Yeah, I think that's an interesting interesting. Uh, I didn't expect that answer. I, th I thought it was full time. It was full time. But you you're right because uh, there's also probably something something good about of removing yourself from the situation and coming into the situation two weeks later or three weeks later and seeing like where the team evolved from the last time you saw them, what something changed, something didn't change, certain dynamics, certain friendships maybe evolved, that there's maybe you get a different picture of removing yourself and having a helicopter view afterwards where you kind of see a different phase of the team. Yeah, I think I think early on I tended to do more um, more days or be there more often at the start when we're building it and when we're, hey, have, when there's everyone's still feeling each other out because that's when people can be feeling a little bit awkward and, oh, crap, I don't want to go and, I don't want to go and talk to him again because that blew up last time. Well, guess what? We're going to go and talk again. So, um, you know, I, I think I think that's probably more relevant to be around early in the in the setting in phase. But then it's around just keeping, you know, keeping your ear to the ground, touch base every now and then and go, wow, what's going on here? Why is that, why is that happening? Um, because as part of, if you're part of the team full time, um, you tend to turn a blind eye to things. Oh, yeah, that happens every day. Well, mm -hmm. if it's bad, if it's not helpful and it happens every day, then that's really bad. So, but sometimes we just get so used to it happening. We go, oh, yeah, that's that's there. There goes that again. Um, so yeah, yeah I, I, I much prefer that. Uh, when I'm with when with the national sides, it's quite good because you come in for three, two, three weeks, and and then everyone goes their own way. So they actually the the investment in time needs to be greater you know i know with some of the national sides at times we said look let's not get on our phones and and tweet after every training session on the way back in the in the vans to the home hotel room why don't we leave our phones till we get home or when we're you know and actually talk about training what worked what didn't work you know you don't want to then have to have another meeting but if you're stuck in a bus for 20 minutes with someone or, or in a van Why don't you get your chats done done then? Like let's let's actually knock that out while we've got time rather than as Luke Long used to say, smurfing, sitting there with your phone, you know, the blue screen against your face. Smurfing. Yeah, I love that. That's like actually a very good um, like you said, those those 15, 20 minute bus rides, they can help a lot also to just clear the air and 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 the, the phones, the phones, the social media changed the whole world that we're living in right now in every aspect, not only sports, but in every aspect for sure. Um, yeah, and it's, it's difficult coming from it, from the coaching staff. Coach staff, some oh, can we ban phones? I'm like, no, we can't necessarily ban the phones because you know. But if you can talk to the players around, would there be a benefit in in having more conversations and not and using that bus ride for that? Otherwise, we'll have to have a meeting when we get back. Oh yeah, we can do it at the bus easy. Yeah, so you know, it, it's 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 selling. I suppose benefits rather than you know making making people do stuff. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, one more question, and, and from your experience with the Boomers, how long do you think it took where you saw and you felt like um, the, the the culture changed, or not not necessarily changed, but improved, and and you you felt the impact that you've done uh, from each each summer on? Was there a point, or was that right from the beginning, from the first summer that you and Coach Lamanus worked together, that you felt like there was immediate Uh, investment, immediate change, because Coach Lamanos was also talking about how guys uh, uh, that didn't make the All-Star squad in the NBA 
they still got together with their families and they still got together on uh, and had vacation holidays together during that all-star break uh, in the States. So there was a certain involvement, investment off away from the summers. You know, it's not only in the summers, but when did you feel that impact grow and how long does it usually take, you think, uh, in the group to be accepted? Well, look, it's depending on the group, but but the, the group were really, really cognitive of spending time with each other and really valued it. I know, you know, Bogues and Patty coming back um, and Joe used to, they loved coming back to the Boomer squad. They're like, you know, I know, I know Bogues had said to me a number of times, oh, I was so different. You know, I come back, we, I'm looking forward to going out for dinner with the, the boys rather than sitting in my hotel room on, the, on an NBA road trip, eating by myself or reading a book. You know, so, so it was quite different, their, their dynamic, and they really enjoyed it. Um, and they also understood and that their goal was to win a gold medal. You know, so far the Boomers haven't done that. Um, you know, they've got the bronze in the last Olympics, but I know there's certainly a number of the boys will still have unfulfilled about that. But you know, I, I suppose they said if we're going to win this, then it's not just about being the, having the most talent. We've got to actually be a team that re- is reliant on each other. We have good relationships. We help each other. Um, and so part of that was, well, if we're going to have good relationships, we need to get to see each other. And, and Paddy's driven a lot of that really well. You know, he's he's organised trips to the uh, to Central Australia and different things like that when the boys get back before they come into camp, they go and do some team things and then come into camp. So you know, th- th- they've really taken that on board, and, and huge credit to to those guys for driving that. Um, the you know the the part that I sort of ran they they did a really a good job of of developing that relationship the part that i was probably pushing in my end was you know how do we make translate that good relationship to an on-court performance um where we care and share and i think we had a a, you know a a pre-tournament for the the rio olympics where we got beat by brazil in a practice match I think that was you were over there at the time. I think just after our rained out game, and we played um, we played Brazil. And we got beaten pretty badly. We got beaten by thirty or so, and and you know we had a poor performance as a team. I think, but we played in the wrong way. You know, I know guys that said, "Geez, I didn't touch the ball five, six, seven times down the court. I didn't touch the ball five minutes." So when I did, I just shot it. <laughs> you know, and so we actually then needed to say, "Well, we can't have that. Like, we can't be thinking, crap, I need to shoot the ball. I haven't shot it.'" Um, we've got to play in a different way. So so we had some good discussions around that and saying, you know, there was some, hey, we need you to score a lot of points, but we need you to score them in this way. Um, trust us to get you the ball in the right positions. And and so there were some good discussions there, and I think um, I think that certainly we're taken on board. Nice. Very nice. So you ready for my ATOs? Yes. All right. Quick, quick ATOs. Are quick nervous? <laughs> no, no, you don't have to be nervous. I'm, uh, although I'm a good shooter, so I'm, 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 I'm <laughs> but I'm a straight shooter too. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll shoot straight on these ones. Um, one, one skill you wish you had. Uh, patience. Is that a skill, or do you want a basketball skill? No, no, that's a good yeah, skill. I'd like to, to that's, shoot it. <laughs> that's a life skill. Uh, biggest pet peeve in your profession. Uh, biggest pet brief, which is weird, meetings, long meetings. Mm. Uh, the, I tend, we tend to have a lot of meetings um, in my work, but but really discussion. But yeah, the long meetings that go nowhere are my big beef. So when yeah. people aren't prepared to say what they think, is it can, uh, is a difficult. It can drag out, right? It can it can be unnecessary. A lot of times, the the time is money. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, something you believe in, something you believe in that others others think is crazy. Oh, uh, I really do believe in team over talent, um, and and I think in, in so in basketball. Uh, particularly, we tend to recruit by numbers, um, and for me, it's it's a really, I think it's a crazy way to recruit because when we talk about getting someone in, we say, "Oh, we've picked up someone who's got twenty and 10, but we want them to play this role, and we want them to get twelve and six. And I'm going, "Hang on, you, re- but they got." They want 20 and 10 to get their next contract. You know, so it, for me, the numbers thing um, is always is always a little different. And so it's, I find it a little crazy. Best personal investment you've made? Ooh, best personal investment. Um, I went to uh, I went to the UK uh, for two years to open up a, a an organization over there, a business over there uh, in training and leadership. Um, that was a, the best investment I made. I spent two years over there, and then when I came back to Australia, I went out by myself uh, and started my own company. Um, social media absence, for the most part, I've noticed. Why? <laughs> Why? Uh, I just, I've just never got into it. Um, I get told very often that I need to do more of it, um, and and they're right. I really do need to sit down over this summer and um, and get a handle on how it actually works. Um, advice from older self to younger self. Oh, geez. Um, take every opportunity. I think, uh, you know, I, I certainly know from my early days in footy, I didn't um, and probably, you know, missed out on five or six years of good footy as, as uh, because of it. All right. Last thing. That's the Tim Ferriss question. More of a, in, and maybe I should have asked you beforehand to, to think of something, but If you got a chance to put something on the billboard uh, for everybody to see, is there something, a, a picture, a phrase, a word that you put on for everybody to think about and to pay attention to? Uh, I would put on a billboard, see something, do something. So for, for me, it's, a, it's the catch cry of leadership I, I like. Um, see something good and reward it any way you can and see something you don't like and help someone to fix it. I love that. I love that. Um, Trent, it's been a pleasure. I really enjoy these kind of talks because they go into depth and they go a little bit. There's, this is like the definition of nuances because that's, for a lot of people, that's not graspable, but that's what my, what my podcast is about. It's about nuances. And this is a big part of the game that I think is underappreciated. And uh, thanks for coming on. Please tell everybody about your uh, company, Team Effect, right? This is, this is what you're, uh, yes. you're, you're, you're running and you're consulting teams and also businesses, uh, as I understand, in a corporate world. Um, tell everybody how they can find you, and and, uh, and social media is still going to in the works, as I understand, but LinkedIn, I saw that you're on. I think, Yeah, I think I am link- on LinkedIn. Um, my website is uh, teameffect.com.au, um, and, yeah, just we just work with teams around performance. So whether it be a corporate team, I do probably more work in the corporate world than I do with sporting teams. Um, I've got uh, three young boys at the moment, so 13, 16, and nearly 18, 18 next week. And um, and I tend to go to watch a lot of their sport at the moment. So, you know, I, I can't have myself bo- booked up all weekends with, with sporting teams. So 
um, yeah, I do a lot of work with different corporate teams during the week, um, which I find really, really great um, and different too. But but in terms of the in terms of the outcomes, it, it, they're really the same as sport. People come in and they want to they want to have a you know do a good job at work and they want to get good results. Um, and sometimes that doesn't happen because of the, the dynamics of groups. Yeah, yeah, I get it. But uh, family is a good personal investment too. So that's that's a good good way to uh, keep the weekends clean and invest in the boys. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Trent, thank you very much. Thanks for coming on and thanks yeah. for everybody for listening. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been great. I've uh, really enjoyed the chat. So uh, it'd be good to catch up again soon. Uh, at the Blitz. I'll see you at the Blitz. All right. Thanks, Benis. All right. Thank you.